Now, um, today we're going to actually skip over a passage. This may catch you off guard, so just listen to me. Um, Our desire is that we preach the scriptures. Uh, Many of you will look down in your Bibles today and you will see kind of a heading there that says that this passage of John 8, um, actually John 7, 53 through John 8, 11 is not part of the original manuscript uh, from from when um, John wrote the book. And so it was later added. Not to say that this uh, encounter with the adulterous woman did not happen. It's just at a later time it was added. And so I feel most comfortable as I stand before you at this time that we're going to skip past this account and we're going to go to uh, verse 12 of chapter 8. Okay, same thing we did when we were going through the book of Mark and we encountered the end of Mark 16, kind of a similar circumstance there. And so with that, I think what we're going to see is that it's a continual conversation that Jesus was having in the temple earlier at the the water uh, parade celebration of the tabernacles, and it just picks right back up. It's a continuation. I I think there's a beautiful flow to it that we will see today. So just want to make you aware of that, just in case you're saying, hey, pastor, you didn't preach on that last week. Um, That's why, that's where we stand today. And so we are in John chapter 8, starting in verse 12, and we will go uh, through verse 30. Let us read together. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I came from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore... Where's your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. But no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So he said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going You cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself? Since he says, where I'm going, you cannot come. He said to them, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am, you will die. That I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, Who are you? Jesus said to them, just what I've been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the father. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am he 
and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. And it's my hope for all of us today that as we hear this word, that we will all truly believe in him. Let us pray together. Father, we thank you for your word, revealing Jesus Christ, the light of the world. May we find ourselves underneath this light, guided by this light, protected by this light. This light allows us to see the world in which we live in, that we may recognize our sin and our great need for Jesus every day. May we never get to the point where we feel as though we have outgrown Jesus and the need for his light. May it be fresh upon our souls today, and I pray that it would be new to those today who do not know you, that you would draw them to yourself and that they would be saved by your grace. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. You may have a seat. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus makes this bold statement, this bold claim, while standing before the lighting of four huge torches in the temple's court of women during the celebration that took place under the light. This was a a magnificent scene. Before I paint the picture for you, I want to remind you that there was a water parade that took place each day. And on the final day, it, it took place seven times as they brought forth the water. And it's when Jesus stood before everyone and he said, come to me. I am the living water. All of you who come drink have river water, uh, waters of, uh, let me get this right, flowing rivers of water from your heart. He says, come to me and drink. And so now after this water parade in the evening time, these torches are lit and not only did it light up the temple court area, but there was a glow upon all of Jerusalem. And so Jesus is standing in this setting and he's saying, I am the light of the world. There would be men of piety and good works dancing through the night, holding torches. And sources believe that this went on every night of the Feast of Tabernacles while there were orchestras that played music. Some sources believe that as this went on every night, the light from the temple would shine over Jerusalem. And yet there was no better setting than for Jesus to stand right here in the midst of it all and say, I'm the light of the world. There's no torch. There's no light that has ever burned brighter than Christ. And I hope that you recognize the light of Jesus Christ today. This is what C.S. Lewis said. I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. As you have the light of Jesus Christ shining upon your life, you are awakened to everything around you. One, you're awakened to the great sin that's within you and the great sin that's around you and your great need for Jesus. So number one, if you're taking notes today, is 
the title is Christ is the light of the world, we see that only by the light of Christ can we truly see. Only by the light of Christ can we truly see. Jesus is the light from above, giving us eyes to see that which has been covered up and hidden by our sin. So the focus of today's passage is this, our need for the light of Christ Jesus to warm our cold hearts and to illuminate a pathway so that we may see and that we may have a pathway that leads us out of the darkness of our sin. Have you been led out of the darkness from your sin or today are you presently sitting in darkness, not knowing God, not recognizing Christ Jesus as Savior, not being filled with the Holy Spirit to go forth and live as you can now live through Christ. Do you find yourself sitting in darkness or or are you walking in the light of Christ Jesus? In John 1, 4 and 5, Jesus said earlier, in him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines into darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. So what does Jesus do? His light rescues us from the life-threatening forces of darkness. From the life-threatening forces of darkness. When we're talking about darkness, sin can take us to many dark places. Like this week, I saw a headline where a father killed um, his four sons and he killed his wife. You read that headline and you think, wow, I'd, I would never think to do that to my family, to my sweet wife. What leads someone to do such a horrible act? The darkness of sin. And yet the light of Jesus Christ saves us. Saves us from our sin. But, but listen, you may think I'm not really that bad of a person. Well, glory be to God, you're not as bad as you could be. Because... The light of Jesus Christ leads you from that darkness. All of us in this room are capable of doing horrific crimes, of being at our absolute worst, if not for the grace of God upon us. And so we need the light of Jesus Christ to rescue us from the life-threatening forces of darkness. Jesus is the light of the world, but not light for the whole world. Let's be clear on this today. He's the light of the world, but not light for the whole world. The world in the Bible is a wilderness, much like the wilderness that we see in the Old Testament. But God did not intend for the world to be this way, where it's dark and dangerous and deadly, but it fell under these conditions when man rebelled against God in the garden. It became this way, not God's fault, man must bear the responsibility of the darkness and the danger that is among us. And as they rebelled in the garden, the world quickly grew dark as the first murder was committed between the first two brothers on earth. So as in the Old Testament, as we see the world, it is a wilderness, a place of confusion, darkness, and cold sometimes, while also a place of deadly heat, pain, exhaustion at other times. Hear this clearly. We will not survive without the cloud by day and the fire by night. We need the Shekinah glory to cover us and guide us. We need the light of the world. 
So Jesus is standing before them in the midst of this celebration, torches are lit. And he's saying, I am the light of the world. I shine brighter than these torches. Not only will I light up Jerusalem, I light up the world. But sadly, not everyone in the world will receive the light. But those who do are to go shine as lights in this world. So Jesus said this, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That may scare you because you think, wait, I'm a Christian, but there are many dark days that I encounter. Absolutely, we encounter dark days, trying times. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying, those who follow me will not walk in darkness. They will not continue to be held captive by sin, but yet I will set them free from the bondage of sin. And yet they will freely follow me, that you follow me, that you say you believe in me. It's because I've set you free from the darkness. And so this promise is fulfilled as we repent and place true faith in the work of Christ. Let me give you a few references here. Zechariah, who was mute for a while because of his unbelief, we see in Luke chapter one, when he was able to speak again, said this, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall rise or sunrise shall visit us from on high, verse 79, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Ephesians 5, 8, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Paul is speaking here, he's saying, church, you were one time darkness, not just walking in darkness, you were darkness. Walk as children of light. Philippians 2.15, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Those who walk in the darkness treasure the world above God. But those who walk in the light treasure God above the world. Treasure the world do you treasure God? Where is your treasure? For where your heart is, that's where your treasure is. What do you treasure? The church would benefit greatly by treasuring God in every part of the day. Not just on this day. Although as we were singing, I was greatly encouraged. It's like a huge, uh, burst of fresh air that comes forth as we sing together, a freshness that's needed to go out into the week. It's very good that we gather together, but not only for this day can we treasure God, but in every day of our lives, can we treasure God? That's the goal, that every day as followers of Christ, we treasure God. There was an old Presbyterian minister named Archibald Alexander, and we have a membership class Uh, for people who desire to join here, as he had a way of people coming and joining the local church, this is what he would say to them, or actually what he would ask them. He says, do you find every morning that your heart is drawn out to God in strong desires? Do you find you love to contemplate the characteristics of his excellence? No one but a vital Christian can answer such questions affirmatively. It's pretty stiff. What he's saying is treasure Christ. You wanna come be a part of the local church? Treasure Christ. You only see 
as the light of Christ allows you to see. The light covering you, the light protecting you, the light guiding you. And we see this in the Old Testament. If you'll turn with me, I I do not have this one on the screen. Normally I like, as I cross-reference, I like to put the scripture up there on the screen for you, but turn to Exodus chapter six, if you will. And what we see is God speaking to Moses. And he's telling them to go before the people because they're gonna be set free from Egypt. And I love this, as I was reading this week, I came across this passage in light of studying uh, for this message. And I thought, wow, not only is Christ freeing us so that we can be underneath his light, but we were under the bondage of something else before. Exodus chapter six, starting in verse six. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will deliver you from slavery to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord, your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And that is what God did as he delivered them from Egypt. They were under many burdens of the Egyptians. And as Christ's followers, what does Jesus do? He takes us out from underneath the burdens of our sins. The sins that if they remain on us, they will crush us. And yet he saves us from our sins. He takes us out from underneath that burden so that we may treasure Christ above all other things. Number two, only by the light of Christ can we truly believe. See, there's a big difference between saying I can bring light to the world compared to I am the light of the world. Jesus is not saying, hey, I know a place where there's some light. No, he's saying, I am indeed the light. And this is what he says, you are bearing witness, or the men said this against Christ, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. John chapter five, 30 and 31, Jesus has already said, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. So he's already said that I'm not the only one bearing witness, but as he stands before them, they're saying, where's your father? We wanna see your father. Jesus continues, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. Why? Why is Jesus the only one who can stand and give testimony about himself and not need a backup witness because he's God in the flesh. He's the only one. That is why when we open up the word of God, we we don't need other resources to speak into the word of God. We take the Bible and we let the Bible speak into our lives. That is why when we open up the Bible, we don't have to already have our minds made up of what the scripture says. We let the scripture transform our minds. The word does not need a backup. Word does not need a witness in order to validate and to be true. And as Jesus stands before them, he's saying, look, we're talking about witnesses here. I don't really need a witness, but I do have witnesses, but I don't need one because I'm God. They didn't know this. He says, for I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. And right here, this is evidence. 
when he says, you do not know where I came from or where I'm going. This is evidence that they do not believe, that they do not understand because the coming and going of Christ is essential for eternal life. It matters where Jesus came from and where he returned to. This is what he says. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Now, when we first read that, you think, hold on, wait, Jesus does judge. He has judged before. Why does he say he judges no one? Because he does not judge according to the flesh, which means he does not judge like we naturally do. Looking at the outside of a person, quickly making up our minds that someone is guilty before they go through a fair trial. And yet they want to condemn Christ already. And he's saying, look, I know you're wrong because you don't know who I am. I don't judge like you do. You judge according to the flesh. So we pause right here and we ask this question, what's going on? What are the Pharisees getting to? And this is a pre-trial before the fixed trial that's gonna happen six months from now. At this point, Jesus is speaking. He's telling them who he is. They don't hear him. They don't believe him. Six months from this point, there's gonna be a fixed trial and Jesus keeps his mouth closed because by that time, he's laying down his life. He's telling them what they need to hear right now. Will they listen in this pretrial? Will they continue to push against him? So they say, if your father is your witness, then where is he? Bring him forward. Their question bears proof that no one can know the father apart from Christ. You cannot know God apart from Christ. Jesus says it later in John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. Matthew eleven twenty seven. 27, all things have been handed over to me by my father. No one knows the son except the father. No one knows the father except the son and anyone to whom the son chooses to reveal him. Wow, Jesus really does have the authority. How will you know the father as the son chooses to reveal the father? So these men are standing before him in this little pre-trial. They're saying, where's your father? Where's your backup? What authority do you have? And Jesus is saying, I have all the authority. Yet you do not see because you are in the darkness. So we said this is kind of like a pre-trial, spontaneous. Jesus goes to this celebration of tabernacles or the celebration of booths. It's a seven day, week long, eight day festival. And we're at the end of it. And we notice this detail. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. But no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. Now, I think it's already interesting that we say treasure Christ and here he's standing near the treasury. But this scene occurred in the court of women. In that day, the women were only allowed to come thus far. Men could travel a little further, according to the law. But this was the large court. It's one of the busiest parts of the temple. And at one side of it was a colonnade with 13 great treasury chests. Because of the giving chest, this part of the temple was very important and heavily traveled. So there are many people who are walking by. It's, if we could just think of something in more modern day, we would think of the food courts at the mall. All right. I do miss the indoor malls. I wish that they would make a comeback, but it doesn't look like we're going in that direction. 
But I grew up in middle Georgia, so I went to the Macon Mall. Anybody else in the room had the joy of going to the Macon Mall? Claire, I see you. Anybody else? Yes. It's a blessed place. You had your places like Corn Dog 7, Great American Cookie Company, Orange Julius. Anybody ever had an Orange Julius? Yeah. And then Cinnabon came along later. But when you went to the mall and you went to the food court, that was a happening place. No matter what you, where you went to shop, you had to go to the food court. People would gather there. It was hard to find a seat. It was busy, heavy traffic, people walking through. Um, there were no corn dog sevens in the temple. I can guarantee you that. But as people are standing there and walking by, Jesus has a crowd. There are a lot of people around. So if we think that Jesus just came secretly and only talked to a few people, no, he had big audiences. And he's speaking boldly here. This is not a a small little group of people. It's well lit, probably in the evening time. Lots of people are all around. Everybody's listening into this conversation. But here's what's interesting. No one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. These men were angry and they wanted to arrest him. And this anger would only intensify during this so-called pre-trial. At the end of chapter eight, they will pick up stones to kill Jesus. That's how mad they get with Jesus. They want to stone him. They want to kill him right there. When you picked up a stone, it was time to do business right there. Death on the spot. No one laid a hand upon Jesus until the father's hand was taken off of his son. Christian, God has you in his hand. We've said this before. You're in the hand of Christ. You're in the hand of the Father, and you're sealed by the Holy Spirit. You could not be in a more safe position for all of eternity. But just because you're in this safe, secure position for your salvation does not mean that you will not face trying times, trials for your faith. But know this, that you are here on this earth for as long as God has you here on this earth. If you're worried about your life, if you're worried about the lives of those under your care, you have to put your rest, you have to put your confidence, your trust in Jesus. God has you. He has you for the time that he wants you here on this earth. But understand this, as it is painful to see those go before us, it's painful to see people leave this earth It's painful to see people go through trials, to go through sickness, to go through heartbreak, one after another. But you have something to look forward to that's beyond this earth. Do not forget that. You are made for more than this. It's because Jesus was made for more than this moment right here because he has a job to do and that's the Father's will. And he does his job all the way till the end. Why? So that number three, only by the light of Christ can we truly follow. We would never follow Jesus if he does not go and pay for our sins. And so in this huge chunk from 21 to verse 30, there is a lot in this big paragraph. We pick up with him saying, I'm going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Wow, what what does that mean? So they're not seeking him now, but when he goes away, then they'll seek him. But he says, you'll die in your sin. Like you won't recognize me. What does it mean? Lost man continues in the darkness, 
looking for light, looking for some type of light, but yet missing the light being Jesus Christ. They will go on looking for the Messiah and they will not find him. They don't like that Jesus is proclaiming that he's the Messiah. They they don't like that he is saying he came from the Father. They want a different Messiah. They'll continue to look. They will never find him because there's only one Messiah standing before them. And he will no longer be on the earth after his resurrection, which means that they're chasing after the wind for they've rejected the only Messiah, no one else. So what does Jesus tell them? Here it is. And they will die in their sin. Notice this, sin is singular. Speaking to a group of people and he says, and you will die in your sin. Why is he using sin singular here before a huge audience? It's not sins plural because Jesus is referring to the sin of unbelief. The sin of unbelief. This is what separates only two types of people in the world. Those who are held in chains and bondage to the sin of unbelief who reject Christ and those who have been set free. You'll continue on You will die in your sin. You will die in unbelief. You will never believe. You will continue to reject me in the revelation that I bring. Then he says, where I'm going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself since he says, where I'm going, you cannot come? If you haven't noticed just by the tone and the way I'm addressing this today, this is a very intense conversation. There's darkness all around. And without the light of Christ standing there, there's no hope for this conversation. What is he going to do? He's going to kill himself? Because he says, where I'm going, you cannot come. His adversaries suppose that he's crazy. It's going to end by him taking his life. Jesus will voluntarily lay down his life, not in the act of suicide, but in submission to the Father's will, in a violent death planned out by his enemies. Jesus will lay down his life, but it's in submission to the Father. Which brings this question Who ultimately put Jesus on the cross? The Father. See, back in the Old Testament, Abraham brings his son Isaac, is willing to give him for a sacrifice. How could Abraham kill his son Isaac? How could he do that? How could he get in a position where he's ready to cut his son's throat? Who would do that? Someone who believes in God. In that moment, when God says, offer your son. No way Abraham's doing that if he doesn't believe in the resurrection. But yet in that moment, as he's getting ready to kill his son, the angel says, stop. There's a ram caught in the thicket. I love that, caught in the thicket. What is it referencing? What are we seeing? That there's a greater one to come. And there is a father who is actually going to sacrifice his son. Let me tell you how this is going to be carried out. Angry men are going to become more angry, more hostile. They're going to put down the rocks 
but they're gonna take him to the cross. Say, rocks aren't good enough. No, we're taking him to the cross. Romans do something with him. Yeah, they have this plan, but ultimately it is the father who is going to give his son and the son has come to obey. He's come to obey. So he lays down his life. It's not taken from him. He gives it in submission to the father. But they don't understand this. And there are many today who think this is foolishness that we would believe this. And here's why. He said to them, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. There's a lot here in these two verses. We see a a first Adam versus a second Adam. First Adam who came, who brought forth death. The second Adam will bring forth life. (laughs) This past week, I was having a conversation with our five-year-old in the truck as we were going through town. And I just happened to be asking him some of the catechism questions. And I said, son, who were our first parents? And he said, Adam and Eve. I said, very good. And I said, of what were our first parents made? And he kept it short and sweet. Here's what he said, dirt and ribs. Dirt and ribs. There's a little more to that answer, son, but dirt and ribs, we'll go with that. Because really when it comes down to it, it's dirt and ribs. I mean, we're from the dirt. We're from the earth. And we have fallen away. Jesus is saying to these men, you don't understand because you're from below. I am from above. I want this to be clear to all of us today because we have many struggles that we deal with and all the doubts and insecurities that we wrestle with is because we're thinking from those who are from below. When we have been given life to trust in the one who is from above. And he speaks of their sins. Now he speaks of sins, plural. He says, you also die in your many sins because your sins will not be paid for. There's only one that is not of this world who can pay for the sins of those in the world. Only one, and that's Jesus. And Jesus paid for real sins at the cross. Not just an idea of sins, not just a cloud of sins, real sins that we commit. Those who would put their faith and trust in him would know that their sins have already been paid for at the cross. Those in the Old Testament, how would they be saved? They weren't saved by slaughtering lambs. They were not saved by slaughtering goats. They were saved by looking forward and trusting that their sins would be paid for on the cross. In the same way that we look back, believing and trusting that Jesus paid for our real sins on the cross. And Jesus is saying, you naturally reject me and you will die in your natural sins. Meaning you'll have a natural death leading to a spiritual death for all of eternity. Jesus was so close to them that they could reach out and touch him. Many of them refused to believe. Do you find yourself today refusing to believe? Are you refusing to believe in the Christ? Will you confess that to the Father? I refuse to believe. But if this is so important, will you do a work in my heart to where I can see, will your light come upon me so that I can see my great need for you, Jesus? Many of them missed it. 
This is what John Piper has to say about our sin. He says, sin repels the light of truth and runs to the darkness of falsehood. Jesus said that we are sinners, not because we are victims of darkness, but because we are lovers of the darkness. Light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light, John 3, 19. The first mark of our sinful nature is that it inclines us and empowers us to suppress the truth, to hate the light. Why do people reject God? Because they hate the light. They love darkness. Why do we continue to sin, although redeemed by Christ? Because we still have a love for darkness within us called the flesh. We need the light of Christ every day that we may love Christ more. And they ask him this question, who are you? Who are you? One day they will receive their answer. And for all of those who reject Christ, that one day will be too late. And there will be no more opportunity. Christ will not be on trial for you to ask him more questions. You will be silenced and you will be condemned to death for all of eternity. This is reality. This is reality. But many did believe and many will believe and many more will testify that Jesus and the Father are one. He then says, when you have lifted up the son of man, which I love because that's the imagery that we see in the Old Testament from Numbers, when they lifted up the serpent on the pole, later Jesus would come and be lifted up for all of those who have sinned to look to the one who is bearing their sin, who's taken on their sin and paid for their sin so that they may be healed. Those who look on him and believe are placed under the cloud, under his protection under his light. So I encourage you today, church, to stay under the cloud. As the Hebrew people were led through the wilderness, if they got outside of that cloud of protection, it was dangerous, it would cost their lives. But yet when they were underneath the cloud, there they were safe. I relate this to where we are in Christ Jesus. Forever in Christ, we are safe not meant that we'll always have safe living, but we will be safe for all of eternity. We will forever be in Christ, which means those who are in Christ will follow. You will follow. Maybe you're wrestling with this right now. Do, do Christians always follow? Can one lose his salvation or her salvation? Listen, if you are under the light, it bears evidence that you will always follow. This word follows in verse 12 is present. It means to continue and keep on continuing. For a Christian, hear this, I love this part, right here. For a Christian, the more light you get and the godlier you get, the less godly you feel. You experience that? The more you walk in the light, <laughs> less godly you feel. This is a unique dynamic and a sign that you're walking in the light. 
Those who walk closely with Jesus are very well aware of their sin. And listen, Christian, this may frustrate you. This may have wrecked your soul this week because you still have a sin that you're dealing with that you're ready to conquer. Be grateful that you you feel that way about that sin. Keep walking in the light. But understand, the more you walk in the light, the less worthy you're going to feel. The less worthy you're going to feel. Why is that? Because God hates pride. Pride was right there in the first sin, in the first outright open rebellion against God. It was pride. And yet now, as you're redeemed by Christ and you walk in the light, that pride in us is destroyed, which allows us to see just how wicked we really are. And may it bring us to the point where we get on our knees and we thank the Lord over and over and over again that he would save such a wretch as I. So you will face tension as you walk in Christ is what I'm telling you here. That as you walk in the light and you're more aware of your sin, what do you do with that? You confess it to the Lord. As you walk in Christ and you're more aware of your sin, you keep confessing that to the Lord. And what a humble position this places us in as we can go love and care for those who are in the darkness because we know where they are and we know what they need and we're willing to share it with them. Which leads us to this end story here. There's a story of a man who was born and grew up in a prison. In the prison, there, was, there were other prisoners who were with him who had been born and raised in the prison. They had never seen anything but their dungeon. One of the great debates they used to have was whether or not there were any other worlds out there among them. Was there a world outside of this dungeon? And as they stood around, they would debate. This young man used to say, I wonder, maybe there is. The jailers always said, this is all there is. The wicked warden said, this is all there is. And they would sit around debating. Everybody else in the jail, all the other prisoners, they would say, there is nothing but this. This is all there is. But one day, somebody came into the prison from another part of the prison. But then he said, hey, that's just what they're saying. I didn't come from another part of the prison. I came from the outside world. There's another world out there. And he started to draw pictures on the wall. He began to draw trees. He began to draw the sun. He began to explain to them this outside world. Then he began to describe to them colors because all the colors they ever knew in this dark dungeon, brown, gray, and black. But he began to tell them about red and yellow and white. And the young man sat around and he thought, I wonder if he is right. I wonder if this is true. I wonder if this is real. One other thing the prisoner had told him was, there's a prince out there. Hmm. Prince in this other world. And that prince will one day come here and he's going to break into the dungeon and he's going to take prisoners and make them free. 
So one day, this young man was sitting in his cell and he heard somebody digging from the other side of the wall. Suddenly, light came into the dungeon. It was the size of a man's hand. He looked out and there was the world. <laughs> there it was. He saw the trees, he saw the sun. And he heard the voice of the prince. And the prince said, now you know I am real. And now you know this world is real. I want you to know I am preparing to come in and take you out for good. Meanwhile, live in the hope of what you see through the wall. Now this young man's life was changed. He was not out of the dungeon, but now his whole life was lived in light from the outside world. He saw what was going on out there and he lived inside a completely different way. He began to treat the other prisoners and the other cells with dignity. His little cell was no longer just a rat hole because he saw the cell as one little piece of a bigger world. And that's how the story goes. And it's a good parallel to the Christian life. Christian, don't you realize that people all around are looking at you right now and saying, this world is all there is. There's no other world out there. This is it. When you die, you go to nothing. This is it. But deep inside your heart, you say, no, my conscience believes my heart believes I was built for something greater. I was built for thrones and crowns and great deeds. I was built for light and high beauty. I was built for love and laughter and nobility. And one day, Jesus Christ comes into your life and says, you're right. You are built for something so much more. And Jesus says this, but look, I have opened a hole through the wall of the world. Someday I'm coming back. Meanwhile, live in the hope and power of what you can see through this hole. This is just a story, but within the story, who is the hole? It's Jesus. Jesus. Many days, the only colors we know are black, brown, and gray. And we long for the days of red, yellow, and white. We long for Christ to return, but Christ has come. And he has risen from the grave and he will come back. But as we read his word, there we look through Christ and we are encouraged and we make the most of every day that we live here on this earth as we walk in the light. Only by the light of Christ can we truly see. Only by the light of Christ can we truly believe. Only by the light of Christ can we truly follow. I encourage you, walk in the light of Christ this week. Do not be ashamed to bear the light of Christ Jesus. And as you walk in the light, 
May you go to those who are in the darkness and share with them the love of Christ Jesus, which will set them free. Let us pray together. Father, we thank you for the time in which you've given us today. As we've seen within this passage, there are many who do not believe. My, how we want them to believe in Christ because he is the only way. May we be a people that as we hear this message today that we are humbled to our core and grateful that we can walk in the light. May we be aware that as we walk in the light, there will be more sin that's revealed to us that maybe we've never seen before that we'll confess to you and we'll grow in Christ's likeness. Demolish the pride that is within us, Lord. We will not look to you and say, who do you think you are, God? But we will ask the question, who are we that you would ever allow us to walk in the light of Christ Jesus? But with this great hope and with this great confidence, may we go forth as more than conquerors. May we be a bold people, but a loving people. And may we not try to hide this light. May we go forth and radiate the light of Jesus Christ into the world in which we live this week. We ask that you go before us. Thank you that you've called us and set us apart for this great work. For us in Jesus' name we pray, amen.